A God that is holy, that is separate and far above, right? That's why we're here. Well, Harvest, uh, we are standing uh, here on a horizon of a new sermon series. Uh, This is who we are. This is what we do. And uh, I'll just say that uh, starting a new sermon series is always a unique place to stand. It's unique for you, and it's certainly unique for me. And questions linger uh, whenever we're at this point of, uh, I wonder what the Lord will do with this series. I wonder how the Lord will show up in this series. And I'm often wondering, will this be any good um, in all of that? Um, but here we are, we're on a six-week series, and I want to put a little context on what's going on with this series. Uh, this is really an on-ramp uh, to March. It's an on-ramp to March when uh, we will be uh, taking the whole month, really, just to celebrate 10 years as a church and what the Lord has done. And uh, we're going to be in that time, we're going to be looking back, we're going to be also, part of it's going to be looking ahead. So we're kind of at this precipice point, this fulcrum point of past 10 years and the next 10 years is a big, big deal in my mind. And uh, we're right here, and I think uh, it's an important time for us uh, like this to acknowledge that reality and the timing of what's where we're at and to kind of take, grab a hold of that and, and use that as a time to set and to secure ourselves uh, with uh, preparing for not only what we've been in the last 10 years, but what we, who we are and what we do for the next 10 years uh, with things. Um, Companies invest millions of dollars to try and get stated out who they are and what they do. Uh, Organizations have mission statements that try and pull together uh, this idea of who they are and what they do. Social media provides you and I this opportunity kind of in that little uh, self-identity space to be able to say who you are and and what you do. And, well, sometimes a lot of that self-identity stuff for me gets a little blah, 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 self-grandizing in it all. There is something important and something valuable about a people coming together at a point in time and just reminding themselves and also confirming with themselves, this is who we are. I mean, this is who we are, and this is what we do. It's not being done to try and say, well, we're the church that does that. No, that's just not in my mind. That's just not, there's no competition. That's not what's going on here. But instead, it's kind of this driving force. Listen, friends, listen, loved ones, this is who we are, and this is what we do. And so, but with God's help, this sermon series is going to help unify us around that. I realize uh, much of where we're going to be going Uh, Many, if not most of you, already have some familiarity, and what I mean by that is familiarity with our three W's, because that's really the building block on which we're going to be working from. But I'm just kind of asking that maybe even as familiar as you might be with that, that we stand in a fresh and a new place. Might I say, let's think of this as a Joshua 3 kind of a moment. Uh, Before crossing the Jordan into the promised land, God's sending base place for them, God told them to, to stand a half mile back, to consecrate yourselves before you go over and just pause and before entering and walking through. And, and that's really kind of what I want to do over these next six weeks here for us in this. So here's how this uh, sermon series is going to go down. Uh, it's really six weeks set into three sections. 
Each section, the first week of each section, is going to be kind of what I might call the biblical theology point of that. It's going to be different than even if you've gone through Discover Harvest or so forth with that. It's going to be oriented a little bit different. It's going to be kind of the theological, how did this come about? How do we see this, and particularly today, from beginning to end of view of it all? And then the following Sunday, so next Sunday, it's going to be on that same item Uh, But it's going to be very pragmatic. It is going to be talking about what we do here and how we see that fleshed out here so that we understand that together. It's almost going to be kind of like a family chat. So we'll be uh, having three sections broken up in that way. C.S. Lewis said, I love this quote. I used it in my project. Uh, It says, uh, we might think that God wanted simply obedience to, uh, simply obedience to a set of rules, whereas he really wants People of a particular sort. I love that. We're to be people of a particular sort. That's what's to be happening. And so these next six Sundays, including today, are going to be about what kind of particular sort of people are we? What is particular about us? Not peculiar, but particular about us, and we're going to be going there. So God, I ask for your help as we and now dive into the beginning of these next six weeks. Because God, this certainly isn't about me, and this certainly isn't even ultimately about this church. This is about you. But yet the reality is, is as a church, uh, we, we want to be unified together. We want to have our heads in the game together, moving forward a team that is discombobulated is a team that does not move ahead and accomplish uh, their goal. And yet, God, I would pray that this would even be a binding, a reestablishing, a driving the stake in the ground around these things of who we are as a church. Father, we don't claim these things because they're like our little preference things. We claim them because they come from Scripture. Because these are the core driving things that we see kind of broken down in a way that we can pull together and gather around as a people and do them. So God, move. In fact, I'm just going to ask that you would move big and that you would solidify deep and you would confirm and you would convict and you would do a work in us for your glory, we pray. Amen. Well, with that said, uh, let it be known, and let it be said, and let it be set that this faith family is here to, number one, worship Christ. In fact, it's such a big deal that we posted it now on our walls. Can you see it? Did you notice that was up? Yep, we're going to be doing some posting on the three sets of walls. Worship Christ. There is none other that we are here to give glory to. There is no other... Not anyone, but Christ alone. Got it? That's who we are. That's who we are. Amen? Amen. Dilly dilly. (laughs) Got to have some fun with it too. Oh, culture is fun. Let me kind of say this. Another way of saying worship Christ could be this. We are here to make much of Christ. We are here to make much of Christ. John Piper says, glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God. 
that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and the all-satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. That's what we're about. We're about making much of Christ. By the way, that includes the reality, if that is true for us, that, that, is, that we are not making much of me, we are not making much of you. We are making much of who? Christ. And that means we are not making much of this building, but we are making much of who? We are not making much of a particular ministry passion or a particular ministry program or a particular personal preference. We're not here to make much of the good old days as the best of days. We're not here to make much of what is hip, what is in, what is cool. That's not what it's about. We're not here for my thing. We're not here for your thing. We are here for one thing, and that is the thing, the one of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Dilly dilly? (laughs) Okay, I'll stop that. But it's fun. That's who we are. That's who we are. We are here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me kind of now take us to Scripture and to see that, okay? Here's what I want to do. I want to do a beginning to end. I want us to take a look at this, might I call it, four biblical big picture cornerstones of worship. So let's go there. Open your Bibles. Let's start in the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Worship. Let me read the first one and a half verses of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, and it's in the plural, which is an interesting reality. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the faces of the waters. Listen, I want for us to understand that all creation, including mankind, is not some freakish cesspool mistake of nature. We are not here by mistake. Men and women were divinely created in everything that we see. It was divinely created. God brought it about. Why are we here? Because God put us here. That's why. And so the question comes out of that then is for what purpose? Well, let's keep going. Go to verse 26, uh, chapter 1, Genesis. Then God said, let us, again, plural, so interesting. Let us make man in Adam in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. In case we're not getting that, you get the idea of repetition there? There is something unique about mankind being created, and it's created in the image of God, and and male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. A few things about this, Uh, not only were we created for worship, but we were uniquely created. We were uniquely created, we were created as man and woman. And look around. I know it looks the same. 
God has uniquely created us, divinely created us. We've been uniquely created in the image of God, divinely created by God. And Colossians 1, 16 and following talks about how Christ was the agent of the Godhead of creation. For by him all things were created and have their being. Jesus Christ was the agent of creation out of the Godhead. All were involved in it. But Christ is, has a central, unique reality in the ontological structure of the Godhead of it all. But we were uniquely created. We were also uniquely placed. Uniquely placed. Mankind was divinely placed in a particular place called Earth. We were just watching a documentary in our house uh, the other week and uh, just talking about space and science and the voyagers uh, that were sent out and everything and it's just talking in there and it's like uh, you know it's saying that the, the uh, mankind understands and describes the universe as it continues to expand might I say it's infinite why did God put us here I don't know exactly why but I know this God put us here in a God-sized universe look around there is a God in millions and billions of galaxies that there are out there that we can't even fathom in our mind. God has put us here. We are not irrelevant. We are not mistakes. God put us here. A divine, the divine God put us here uniquely created in his image. He knows we're here and he cares. Okay? That's a big deal. We are uniquely placed. We are also uniquely called. Verse 28 uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. Uh, by the way, note, sin has not come into the picture yet. And yet, mankind is given this duty, this responsibility, this activity, might I call it. And why that activity? Because go to verse 31. Because verse 31, and God saw everything that he made. Behold, it was all very good. Why, wait, why all the creation? Why us? Why placed here? Why called the way we are? Because it gives glory to God. Because God sits back, the Godhead sits back and goes, I love that. And that glorifies us. We were created, and we were created to bring worship to God. By the way, again, before sin taking place, listen, listen. This idea, that this picture that we have of, we'll talk about it in just a second here, but this picture we have of this perfect bringing worship and glory to God like it's, a, like it's an eternal church service. Okay, like my job and career is here, and like I don't want to be here all the time. No, really I don't. I mean, there's things to do, and it's like, God, listen, the worship of God is not boring. The worship of God is also not just here. The worship of God is activity. The worship of God is what he has put out before us. We have been called to be and to do something and everything that gives glory to God. Worship is not to be boring. Amen. It is all of life. We'll be talking about that more next week. Number two... We were created for worship, but we are also destined to worship. Turn to Revelation 21. Let's go to the end of the story, the end of the reality. Revelation 20, the thousand-year reign and the judgment before the great white throne of the unredeemed. Come to Revelation 21. And listen, this is the eternal state 
For those that are redeemed in Christ, here's the rest of the story. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Boy, I'd like to talk about that, but I won't go too far. The earth is a big deal, by the way. God put us here, and it's going to be all new. Whatever that ends up meaning, i got to keep going because I have an interest in all that. A new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, the tabernacling place of God is with who? With mankind. That's cool. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. By the way, three times in a matter of two sentences, it's driven home this idea that God is going to be like with, like God walking in the Garden of Eden with. And God will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Oh, bring it, Lord. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things of life have passed away. Bring it. Bring it, Lord. And they go to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. But, but its light, uh, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory. And in verse 25, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen, for the redeemed in Christ, for those who have come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, the ending is marvelous. And the ending could be described in one word, worship. That's what it is. In fact, let me carry a couple more verses. Chapter 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, uh, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, uh, with, with it twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants, his doulos, his bondservants, will what? Worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and look at this, and they will reign forever and ever. If you have this picture that uh, uh, eternity with God is floating on a cloud playing a harp, at what point does that not get boring? Just be honest about it, especially as a non-musician. <laughs> at what point does just like having a, a church service in our, ID, in our mind as what eternity is about? Listen, at some point, that gets boring. But the fact of the matter is, is like in the beginning where God has given us to domain and reign, in the end will be the same thing. Listen, I'm telling you, in eternity it is going to be activity and it is going to be marvelous and there's no such thing as boring. It's going to be awesome. And you want to be there. 
Worship in the beginning, worship at the end. By the way, I want to bring one other thing about worship. We are surrounded by worship. While we're in Revelation, turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, just as an example. Pick up in verse 2. John says, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven and one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, presbyteros, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings, peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, uh, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. By the way, understand this. Chapter 5 begins to talk about the time when the lamb, the lion who is the lamb, grabs the scroll out of the Father's hand. But this is now, friends. This is the heavenly reality now. God on the throne and the... 24 presbyteros and four living creatures around. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Verse 7, and the first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight, and four living creatures, each of them with six wings full of eyes and all this other cool stuff. What's the point? What are they doing? They are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Oh, by the way, they're saying it never ceasing. Something has to keep you so enthralled that you say that again and again and again and again. And when we're going through the book of Revelation, I am convinced it's because they see what God is doing and they know what God is doing and everything that God is doing. Oh, I get cranked up. Everything that God is doing in this, they look and they see this and they're like, are you crazy kidding me? You are awesome. Holy are you. And then by the time they're like, they need a breath and they need to go grab a Diet Coke or something, they're like, they see something else. And they can't ever leave that moment. And they just keep doing it and keep doing it. And there's never a conversation like, do you need to go to the restroom or something? None of that's ever going on. Fully engaged all the time in it. And then whenever they give glory and honor and thanks to him, verse 9, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne. And they what? They worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before him saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. That's going on right now, friends. And then even you just bring in the concept of chapter 5 where you have this, where the, the four living creatures uh, sing a new song, and then uh, uh, all of a sudden, these others enter into the whole thing. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor. And then the whole heavenly creatures of all then enter in to him who sits onto the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures shout out, amen. In the beginning, created for worship. We are destined to eternal worship and surrounded all around us is the reality of the heavenlies worshiping God. 
So what about now? What about us here right now? I'm glad you asked. Because not only are we surrounded by, but we are invited to. Turn to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. Created for worship, destined to worship, surrounded by worship, invited to worship. What happened in Genesis 3? My Bible titles it the fall. Adam and Eve bit it, literally, they sinned. What happened there? Genesis 3, let's, let's take a look. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, did God actually say to you? Okay, some of you right now I had a conversation with last night are wondering if I'm going to go there, and I am. Question. Before sin came in, could animals talk? I'm having some fun, but I'm partly serious. Why was Eve not totally wigged out? Might it be that Balaam's donkey used to be the norm? Because sin separates? Everybody who's loved pets are all in. <laughs> I don't know, but wouldn't it be cool if in heaven all of God's creation was able to literally interact in ways that beat sin has broken? Oh, friends, sin has broken beyond our understanding. He, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the gardens, but, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. I'll just say this, way to go, girl. Way to preach it. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she also gave it to her husband who was with her. Dude? Are you like sitting in the lazy boy? Remote in hand? Completely disengaged? Hmm. Someone ought to do a doctoral work on that. <laughs> and, uh, and he ate. And he ate. Let me just kind of cut to the chase here. What God had for Adam and Eve became not enough for Adam and Eve. For them, there was something that they came to want, something more, something in addition to. They wanted God, but they wanted something more in addition to that. And friends, the war for our worship has continued ever since. And ever since the fall, every man, every woman, every child has known about the war for our worship. And I would even say Jesus Christ in the desert. But he was victorious. The question is, is in this war, who every day, every moment, as we'll be talking next week, 
Who do we choose to make much of? What do we choose to make much of? But the cool thing is in the Genesis 3 story, we are invited to worship because this would have been a great time for God just to say, done, over, out. But he didn't. In fact, the whole Genesis to Revelation story, everything in between that is the story of us being invited to worship and to make much of God. That's what the whole Bible is about. And the very chapter that tells us of the fall and the judgment of the fall is the very chapter that tells us of God's rescuing mission that he provides for sinners. That they can be restored back to God. Verse 15, chapter 3, at the end of it. One would be coming, one would be born of the woman, that Satan would deal a bruise, but he would deal Satan a lethal blow. And friends, that lethal blow was laid at the cross and the resurrection. And God has been, ever since this time of Genesis 3, God has been on a rescuing mission. We just see God's covenant promises to Noah and to Abraham and to David and then the work of Christ at the cross. And then we see in Scripture the, the indwelling work of the Spirit of God who calls and who draws and who seals and who points people to the divine invitation to repent and receive. Repent and receive the forgiving and redeeming work of Jesus Christ as people broken by our sin. And those redeemed in Christ can then enjoy and make much of Christ. And that's what we're invited to. We are invited to repent and receive Christ and then spend our lives here in this point in time making much of Christ. And yet we all fall and fail, don't we? And here's what's so cool. The Lord knows that. And he never boots you or me off the table. His long-suffering grace and patience, sheep with a shepherd, but learning to live for the shepherd. And his grace just continues every day to pour out, you guys. Created for worship, destined to worship, Surrounded by worship, invited to worship. That's why we do that here. That's why. That's why it is the first thing posted on the walls. Because everything else falls under that. Listen to some quotes in my study this week. It came from a few. Just listen to these. A.W. Tozer says, the church exists to worship God first of all. Everything else must come second or third or fourth or fifth. He goes on to say, I believe the local church exists to do corporately what each Christian believer should be doing individually, and that is to worship God. C.S. Lewis, in commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. You have that idea of worship as it's, it's not this oh, crud. It's also not just this time of singing. It's not a pain. It's not something else to do. It's actually the, the full enjoyment of who God is. What happened with Adam and Eve? What went wrong with Adam and Eve? They were enjoying everything that God had given them. It was perfect. It was like perfect. Dudes, you missed it. Why'd they miss it? They missed it because they wanted something a little bit more. 
and the shiny object they chased after. But they had full enjoyment in God as it was. N.T. Wright says, worship is a central characteristic of the heavenly life and that worship is focused on the God we, and worship is focused on the God we know in and as Jesus. Rory Noland said, God is looking for people who want to become better worshipers, people who want to do more than just show up for worship, people who mean business when it comes to worship. He goes on to say, we were created, commanded, called, compelled, and destined to worship God doesn't need anything. He is God. He delights in our worship. But the truth is we are the ones who need to worship. Amen. At its most basic level, he says, worship is an exciting opportunity and a holy invitation to enjoy God. And he finishes, we must make worship a top priority because worship is God's ultimate priority. And that's why it's the first thing that we state who we are. We are a people pursuing after giving out the worship unto Christ. Every moment, every day. That is who we are. Let it be said, let it be known. Next week, let it be done. Preach it, girl. Amen. And we're going to build on that next week. From the beginning to the end, surrounded by and invited to. If you don't know what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I just want to lovingly call you to pursue after him, to ask someone, what does that mean? How can I know that I know that I know that I have a relationship with Christ? Because I'm telling you, friends, what's coming ahead is awesome. Oh, and by the way, where we're at right now is awesome. Because even now, we have been invited to worship, to make much of Christ, to make much of him here, to make much of him at school, to make much of him at home, to make much of him at work, to make much of him in the mall, to make much of him in the car. Yeah, even the car. More of that in us, right? Next Sunday, we're going to talk about how we go about doing that. So Lord, we'll leave it there. And I would pray, God, that the Spirit of God even right now would be doing work in our hearts. Maybe this morning there's someone who doesn't know if they have a relationship with you. They're questioning, oh God, I just pray they'd be humble enough and they'd be bold enough to ask. Ask someone right around them what that means so that they can know that they know that they know. God, maybe someone is here this morning after a tough week, a tough month of time to where they're looking at life and frankly, they're just somewhat hopeless right now. Or they're just in a place to where they're like, God could not take my worship. God would not even want to look at me. He would not give me any attention because of the story of my life. The fact of the matter is, you are the one who told the people to drop the rock and their accusations of the woman. Caught in adultery. 
God, listen, you, you are so gracious. You are so loving. You are so amazing. You didn't die on the cross just for people of a certain type. You died on the cross making yourself available to all who would receive and repent. God, I would ask that the invitation to be able to make much of you would be something that would grab our attention increasingly so. That we would set aside the, 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 the list of do's and don'ts and we would replace that with just an awe and a pursuit of you. Because it is out of seeing you big that our lives change. God, as we sang earlier in the song, I would say, ruin us in your glory. Blow us away. Show us yourself. Magnify yourself so that we can see more of you and make much of you. Because you are God. And that's what this life is all about is making much of you. And so God, we finish by doing that in song. And I pray we would make much of you right now. In your name, amen.